Hello, welcome to another episode of Analyzing Mormonism. This is episode 26, and it's about the family proclamation. I received permission from Jen Camp, who is the host of the podcast Our Truth Be Told, to share this episode. And I'm just sharing the audio, so if you want to see all of our beautiful slides and sources, please go to her podcast. This is episode three for her, and Our Truth Be Told. In fact, if you can, how about you just stop what you're doing here, go straight to YouTube, watch us talk and discuss the family proclamation. Hi, everyone. It's Jen Camp, and this is our Truth Be Told podcast. Thank you, everyone, for being here today on our live broadcast. I am super excited about who is here with me today. Um, I've known her for a while now, kind of fangirled over her TikTok for a, a long time before um, I reached out to her and got to know her a little bit better. But um, I'm so excited to have Julia from Analyzing Mormonism here today. She is so good at just taking a subject, looking into it, finding details and documents and all these amazing things as she researches um, each topic about church history. And so I thought um, I would reach out to her and, and have her come onto the podcast. I'm hoping regularly to do a truth claim with us, um, kind of dive deep into it and get to know it a little bit better. Um, and also I think it's important in this space to have, um, the voices of women talk about truth claims. Um, there's a lot as you research and are online that, um, you hear male perspectives or, um, there's a lot of you know, just kind of that voice out in this space. And so having Julia here today and talking from a female perspective on the truth claims of the LDS church is something that I've always wanted. <laughs> so I am so excited to have her here today. So I'm going to bring her on and introduce y'all to her. Um, so this is Julia from Analyzing Mormonism. Um, <laughs> welcome. How are you? Thank you. You're so sweet. That introduction was really good. <laughs> so um, tell us just a tiny bit about you, Julia. So I grew up in the church. I am from Missouri. Um, I went to BYU-Idaho. I went on my mission to Salt Lake, and I was in Wyoming and Park City a lot. I... Um, I recently, I got married six years ago. We were together, my husband and I, and we separated and I am now living with my girlfriend. So, mm -hmm. so that's a thing. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the okay, subject of the family proclamation. Are. Yeah. So this subject is like really dear to me. This whole, mm -hmm. everything surrounding the LGBTQ experience is really dear to me. So yeah. I'm really excited to, to be here. Yeah. And to be honest, as a true believing Mormon, I had no idea whatsoever that the family proclamation had anything to do with lgbt like same nothing. here i had no idea did you know yeah. okay i know so like <laughs> no idea yeah so in my i minored in marriage and family relations and we, for mm. one of my classes we had to memorize the family proclamation and again i had all classes about it i minored in mm. it had no idea that it had anything to do with homosexuality like yeah yeah i did not yeah. either so I'm I'm excited to dive into this today. Um, Julia sent me her slides to look over, and you guys, she's like 
the bomb. I don't know. She just like has researched and put together these, this amazing slide presentation for you today too. So we'll try and read that just for like the audio version of this for people listening later. So we'll try and read the slides, but um, I'm just so grateful for everything that she has put into this for us today. Um, so we'll just get started because we have a lot to go over and talk about and kind of, um, I don't know, go through, I guess, as we talk about this today. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll just kind of turn the time over to you, Julia, because you've put almost all the work into this. So I'm going to turn the time over to you and you just let me know. I'll switch slides for you, but you take it away. Okay, perfect. Okay, so we're talking about the family proclamation and I'm not going to read the whole thing uh, um, here live. Um, you can always Google it and look it up, but we will be going over some certain points that I will be pulling from the proclamation. So you can go to the next slide. Um, so the Family Proclamation was delivered, is a 1995 statement, and it was defined as the official position of the church on marriage and family and gender roles and human sexuality. And it was first announced in a General Relief Society meeting by Gordon B. Hinckley in 1995. Okay, so another thing, I don't know, we don't have to read this whole thing, but um, I wanted to talk about women's roles in creating the proclamation in so Sister Okazaki is the um, one of the counselors in the General East Society, or she was back in 1990 through 97. And she was ha she had an interview with um, historian Greg Prince. And he asked her, she was talking about it. And she was like, I wondered why we weren't consulted in the making of this proclamation. And uh, he was like, oh, like, what? Did you not even know that it was coming? She's like, no, we had no idea. In fact, we I wish that we had seen it earlier so that we could make made a few changes. Um, she's like, I think they just sort of forget about us, that they get so busy. Um, and I thought that was really sad that that, that was the case. Yeah, I Did thought that was really, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I think this is really powerful because the 12, okay, so the 12 apostles, you know, were were putting this together. And then they, after it's all complete, and this was just so interesting to me, then they bring in the Relief Society and they just ask them. Do you want it presented in priesthood session or do you want it presented in release society? And, and that, like, so they were not, they didn't even know it was being written. They didn't know right. anything about the proclamation. And it's interesting to say how they, the presidency, at least um, Sister um, Okazaki, she, she was taken back and she was like, how come we weren't consulted? You know, those are her words. Mm -hmm. You know, how come we weren't consulted on this? And then she goes on to also put in her input that um, she did not feel like everything in there was correct. And so right. I thought like for her standing up and saying that, and this is this interview, I think with Greg was like seven years later um, than when she was in the Relief Society presidency. So seven years later, it's still bothering her. Like it's mm -hmm. still, you know, she still remembers that feeling of, you know, them not consulting her and then her finding changes that need to be made. I thought that was, this was so powerful that you found these yeah. quotes from the interview and put them on here. Yeah. And another thing that I wanted to say, and this might not have very much to do with it or might have everything, but the church today is still against equal rights for women. And maybe we can talk about that in, in another podcast episode, but yeah. like, this just like, is this hurts my heart to know that yeah. these women weren't consulted. 
And, mm -hmm. and I think it was even, they presented this two weeks before conference was supposed to begin. So everyone who was supposed to speak already had their talks written and they had to yeah. reconstruct everything. Um, they were going to speak about um, different types of families, like, um, like one parent families or your grandparents raising you or things like that. And they mm -hmm. threw them all out to talk about the traditional family. So really, yeah. I yeah. didn't know that. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's hard in so many ways. <laughs> That's hard. Yeah. yeah. It's hard yeah. to hear that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So the background of, of the proclamation has everything to do with um, homosexuality. So we're going to go through different things that the church has done and the church has created over the years until it gets to the proclamation. Okay. So with these next slides. Yeah. So this one is a little booklet. Um, this was in February, 1981. They published this mini, this nine page booklet that talks about the problems of homosexuality. And it provides information on the church's position on it, the causes of it, how to assess needs, and how to counsel homosexual behavior. And if you go to the next slide, it talks about, um, it has a little forward, and it says, homosexuality is a grave concern to the church because, one, it violates the Lord's eternal plan for man's progress by perverting the proper use of procreative powers and loving relationships. Two, it deprives God's children of the happiness and fulfillment possible only in family life. Three, it debases and demeans those involved. Four, it is as sinful as heterosexual adultery, heterosexual adultery and fornication. And five, it may involve violent and criminal behavior. Wow. Like even, re even reading these, I was like, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Research can uh, debunk that, debunk that, debunk that. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's false. That's false. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay, so, okay. Yeah. So this next one was on August 7th in 1984. And this is by Dallin H. Oaks. And he writes a 21 page memo. This is a really long memo. Wow. He's talking about the principles to govern possible public statements on legalization affecting rights of homosexuals. And he, his memo um, presents that homosexuality can be cured. And this is maybe where we can talk about um, at BYU for a long time, they were doing electric shock therapy through the, yeah. through the church itself mm -hmm. to reconvert people um, reorient people to being straight. Did you want to talk yeah. about that? Yeah, just that, um, you know, Oaks one time denied that he was at BYU while this was going on. Um, and he was um, over BYU from 1971 to um, 1980. And conversion therapy at BYU was still was still going on in 1976. So that's very much into his reign over BYU. So that was a lie from him um, when he stated that. And um, I don't know, I get, it's hard for me with Oaks. Oaks, um, I just, whenever he talks, it's just my whole body like tenses up like in a trauma response <laughs> because I, I'm just fearful. He's probably the, the apostle I'm uh, most fearful for his reign as prophet, um, because of so many, so many ways that he, he is just so harmful to people, um, especially in the LGBTQIA community. So, um, it was, it was hard to read, to read this, um, but not surprising that it was Oaks. So, um, right. we can move on from, from that. Right. Okay. So they, he goes on, it's kind of, I don't agree with anything that he's saying, but we can go to the next slide. Okay. <laughs> okay. So in September, on September 3rd of 1991, a case was presented in Honolulu and it was called Bear versus Lewin. 
And this, I think, don't quote me on it, but I think this was the very first attempt of in the country of any of the states to try to legalize same-sex marriage. And mm -hmm. so this was a huge deal for, for everybody and especially for the church, because the church was like, if this gets legalized in one state, it can be legalized everywhere. Mm, okay. Okay, so in November 14th of 1991, the first presidency released a letter called Standards of Morality and Fidelity. And he says that the Lord's law, in the letter, it says the Lord's law of, of moral conduct is abstinence outside of lawful marriage and fidelity within marriage. Sexual relationships are proper only between a husband and wife appropriately expressed within the bonds of marriage. Any other sexual contact, including fornication, adultery, and homosexual and lesbian behavior is sinful. Those who persist in these practices or who influence others to do so are subject to church discipline. So they're just reiterating, we do not agree with, with gay marriage or with homosexuality right. at all. Right. This one I think is super interesting. This was a booklet um, called Understanding and Helping Those Who Have Homosexual Problems. And it was made in 1990 or updated in 1992. And the booklet states that no general agreement exists about the causes of such problems. However, the booklet does give um, several reasons why they think homosexuality has occurred. And so they, they say it's perceived problems with a parent or some other older person viewing inappropriate images or scenes and self-pleasure. And so, yeah, uh, these are, yeah, yeah. So I, I know for a while the church was teaching that if you, if the, the church has happy families, they won't want to be gay. Like if you have a good parent, if you good father relationship with your sons, they won't be yeah. gay. If your mothers are yep. good to their daughters, they won't be lesbian. And yep. then like, if you haven't been, if children have been molested, they're more likely to be gay. That's not true. If you view certain things to excite you sexually, that you could become gay. That's not true. And it's self-pleasure. None of these things are true, but these are, they're saying that these are reasons why people become gay. So yeah, I thought that was worth pulling out. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. There's so much to even okay. go into, into like yeah. Yeah. Just that slide, slide, like yeah. how also, yeah, I was going to say at the bottom, it says it outlines that homosexual feelings can be overcome through repentance, reliance on the savior and self mastery, which is not yeah. true. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's funny that self-pleasure, I don't know. There's so much we could go to on each of these subjects. Like we could do a whole yeah. other podcast on just each one. Like it being a, yes. a, a normal thing. There's reach, research mm. done. It's actually beneficial. Like there's so many things to like what they say is wrong. But, you know, yeah. another podcast, another day, everyone. So. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So the, in 1993, on May 5th, the Hawaii Supreme Court ruled that the state's refusal to issue marriage licenses constitutes sex discrimination under Hawaii law. As such, the discrimination may only be practiced if the state can demonstrate compelling public interest in denying marriage to same-sex couples. The Supreme Court returns the case to the circuit court to issue a new decision based on whether such compelling interest exists. So they say, we think this is a discrimination. We're going to send it back to you to see if there's any reason why, why we shouldn't accept gay marriage. Mm -hmm. So on February 1st, 1994, the church issues another letter called Sa Under Same Gender Marriage. And they say, again, they reiterate that they oppose the efforts to legalize marriages between persons of the same gender. Marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God to fulfill the eternal destiny of his children. The union of husband and wife assure per um, perpetuation of the race <laughs> and provides <laughs> a divinely ordained setting for the nurturing and teaching of children. This sacred family setting with father and mother and children firmly committed to each other and to righteous living offers the best hope for avoiding many of the ills that afflict society. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Knowing what we're about to talk about. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Okay. So a year later, on February of 1995, the church announced that it had decided to file a petition to intervene in the Bear versus Lewin case in order to protect freedom of religion to solemnize marriage between a man and a woman under Hawaii law. With the support of church leaders in Salt Lake, three representatives uh, Wednesday filed a notice to appeal. This is a from a, an article that I had taken from, I think it was the Deseret News. Um, three representatives filed notice to appeal asking the Hawaii Supreme Court to allow them to become a party in the lawsuit filed against the state where three homosexual couples were trying to seek um, legalization for the Bear versus Loon case. Yeah. And so you can go to the next one. So the church is getting involved. Um, so the circuit court in Hawaii rejects the church's petition to become a party in the Bear case. Um, the judge ruled that the request was without merit since nothing in the licensing law required a minister to perform any marriage in behalf of the state, rather than merely permits them to do so when it was in harmony with their re religious practices and belief. According to the judge, the church failed in its petition to demonstrate that its argument against same-sex marriage were ones that had not already been raised by the state. So Hawaii is saying, no, we won't. You guys don't have a good enough case. So go away. Yeah, perfect. So, but after that, they released, they had to release the, my conclusion is that they reached out to the Relief Society back in September to try mm -hmm. to get this legal document out to the members as quickly as possible because this document would allow them to get into the courts faster. So on September 23rd, mm -hmm. 1995, Gordon Hinckley reads the proclamation in the General Relief Society, which happens, it used to happen like a month before conference, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or something. Or a few weeks okay. before conference. Yeah, so they, they just want to get out there as fast as possible. Okay. Okay, so after the proclamation was written, the church entered the Hawaii case and included the document as an appendix to the amicus brief um, filed by the church in April of 1997. And in December of 1999, the, Care versus, the Bear versus Lewin case was dismissed and Hawaii rejected same-sex marriage. So they essentially the church won for a time. Mm. But then December of 2013, Hawaii passed the Hawaii Marriage Equality Act that finally legalized same-sex marriage. So it only lasted mm. for a little bit of time. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so June 26th of 2015, um, same-sex marriage was legalized nationwide. And I wanted to ask just out of curiosity, do you remember hearing that news? Yes. For yourself? Mm -hmm. Where what, what was your what was your reaction to that? Um let's at the time, well, I think the reaction was it it goes against the principles of the church. I think that was my reaction. Okay. Like I think a lot of people saw it as like, oh, this is like a signs of the times or whatever. But I was just oh, curious okay. if you had specific thoughts. Like some people were really happy, um, even mm -hmm. within the church, but others were. I was just curious. Um, yeah. Okay. So with the next slide, I wanted to talk about this for a minute. Um, there's this man who wrote this book. His name is, or he edited this book. His name is Frank Lowe. Mm -hmm. And this book is really good. And what he's done is he's collected stories of children of LGBTQ people. And they just shared their experience. And with him, he was one of the ones who helped write an amicus brief to help that eventually led to the legalization of same-sex marriage in 2015, mm -hmm. which I thought was really cool. So because they yeah. listened to the children, they legalized it. They're like, okay, this is super good. This is totally fine. Let's legalize it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we should listen however, to the children. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> however, five months later, Jen, do you want to just, do you want to read this one? 
Yeah, five months later in November 2015, the church released a new policy. Children of same-sex couples will not be able to join the Mormon church until they turn 18, and only if they move out of their parents' homes, disavow all same-sex relationships, and receive approval from the church's top leadership as part of the new policy adopted by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And that was November 6, 2015. So um, with this, um, I kind of wanted to tell a little personal story. Um, this was the first um, thing that came out that something um, inside me, like uh, up until, I guess up until this point, I had always said the prophet spoke for God. Like it was just in me. That's what I believed. It, I never questioned it. I just, you know, went along with what they said. And when this came out, my something inside me dropped and it did not feel right to me in any way. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I had a friend. Um, our families were super close and, um, all of a sudden they well, all of a sudden to me, they were going through some hard times and then she needed to move out and didn't have anywhere to go um, with her two children. So I let them, we let them come stay at our home um, for a few months and they, um, they lived with us in our basement and um, our daughters were best friends. So we would, we would be by them all the time. Like we, she was there with her two kids. Um, I would talk to her. We would make dinners together. Like, um, we were pretty close and I could tell something wasn't right. Um, like she wasn't telling me everything, but you know, you don't want to pry and things like that. And eventually they moved out and she then moved in with her girlfriend and so um, I understood, you know, she came and we talked and I understood that she was lesbian and she um, had left her husband and she was now living with her girlfriend um, with their two kids. And this was when I was true believing Molly Mormon woman. And so I know the fear, it's kind of sad. It's so sad to me now, but I know the fear that she had, even though she was living with me and we were so close that she couldn't even tell me in that time, um, what was really happening and, and what was going on, um, within her and choices she was making for herself. Um, but I loved them <laughs> and they were so close to us and our family. And, you know, still being true believing Mormon, I'm like, I'm like, just, I'm trying to love, uh, love like Jesus would love. And I'm trying to do everything right. And, you know, her daughter, I love so, so much. And I'm like, if Tate, uh, I should not say her name. If T wanted to, um, get baptized, she couldn't get baptized. And for some reason that like tore my heart out and I would, I, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel like it was from God at all to me. And so it was the first time where like, I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm struggling 
to like understand like god why would you do this like it doesn't make sense to me and um why would you stop her progression you know for eternity because her her mom uh, um chooses to be lesbian it doesn't make sense to me and it was the first time where i felt i got an answer against the prophet and the answer was be patient like it's not be patient it it will work itself out like it will work out eventually that's the answer i got but it was the first time i had ever you know like really prayed against the prophet and got an answer against him and so that was this this thing this what happened here with the children is so hurtful to me and to so many people um not just ones that you know are in a family that have lgbtq parents or children it's it's wrong for all society it's it's disrespecting children it's taking away rights from humans it's so many things and i think i give like kind of leeway sometimes in the adult world but when you mess with children, I have a problem with you. <laughs> I, it becomes a big problem for me. So um, this was this was stood out for me. Which, um, how did you feel at the time, Julia? Like what were, what was going through your head during this year that this came? Well, out? so for so I remember this, um, but I remember thinking like like how can this be for the children? Like he's saying this is for their good, and yeah. like. I couldn't think of any reason, like on my mission, we taught some children and they were baptized. So the only thing I could think is like, maybe they want their parents to be able to take them to church. So they want them to make covenants that they can't fulfill if their parents aren't going to church. But like there's plenty of LGBTQ people who will go to church. If they want their kids to be Mormon, they're going to be attending church. So like that didn't, that didn't add up. So I was just really confused. Like, how can this be for their good? Like, yeah. So okay. I was just really like, like, I was just really confused mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, same. Yeah. Okay. But these two things, so like the amicus brief, the mm -hmm. legalized same-sex marriage was about was from the children, and this is, um, yeah, sort of punishing the children. Like, this just is. Yes. It just feels too closely in the timeline to have them not being um, part of each other. So right. Yeah. Okay. So when Hinckley read the proclamation, he said that it was a declaration and reaffirmation of standards, doctrines, and practices relative to the family, which the prophets, seers, and revelators of the church have repeatedly stated throughout its history. And he said this during the women's conference whenever he was announcing it. Okay. So, but we'll see that this is not true. Yeah. <laughs> so in the, pro yeah. So in the proclamation, it says that all human beings, male and female are created in the image of God. Gender is an essential characteristic of individual, pre-mortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose. So I read, I got a lot of these quotes from the book called Tabernacles of Clay by Tyler Petrie. And okay. he talked about how um, in, 19, in the 1965 General Conference, William J. Critchlow of the Quorum of the Twelve said that he saw a conscious choice to be male or female. In other words, we chose our gender and then it's not eternal. And with the next slide, um, this is from a BYU professor, Hiram Andrus. And he says, nowhere in scripture or in any authoritative source is the central primal life of man said to be an intelligence that existed as a living entity in the form and stature of man. In other words, it's nowhere in the scriptures that we were intelligences that were gendered. So gender isn't eternal. 
And then another BOE professor, Rodney Turner in 1972 said, the principles of agency must have played a part in anything God did. The arbitrary assignment of sex would have rendered him particularly vulnerable to criticism. In other words, God let us choose our gender. And then this next one, um, and you can actually find the, the clips of this, it's still online. But President mm -hmm. Gordon Hinckley said, I know of no doctrine that states that we made a choice when we came to the search as to whether we were male or female. That choice was made by our father in heaven with his infinite wisdom. So in other words, Heavenly Father chose our gender. So if Heavenly Father chose our gender, I don't understand how this is eternal. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Good so <laughs> good point. My, yeah. So my question is, if gender is a choice of the individual spirit or of God, does that mean it's essential and eternal? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then there's yeah. another thing about there's post-mortal gender where prophet. So we're taught that gender, we've always had our gender. We will always have our gender. Mm -hmm. So President Joseph Fielding Smith taught, I take it that men and women will, in these kingdoms, in the lower kingdoms, be just what the so-called Christian world expects us to be, neither man nor woman, nearly immortal beings having received resurrection. In other words, gender is not eternal. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think in most of the Christian world, God is not man or woman. He's both like God yeah. is all encompassing. So even that's God very true. Is not general or, or gender mm -hmm. eternal. So there's yeah. that. So I throw that in there. So yeah. And then he says again in another one of his books. Oh, if you'll go back. Yeah, it says, um, is not um okay. Um, is not the sectarian world justified in their doctrine generally proclaimed that after the resurrection there will be neither male nor female sex? It is logical conclusion for them to reach and is apparently in full harmony with what the Lord has revealed regarding the kingdoms into which evidently the vast majority of mankind is likely to go. So again, there won't be males or females. So mm -hmm. gender is not eternal. And so the question is, how can gender be eternal if it ends past the resurrection for the vast majority of mankind? So I'm just confused if we're teaching we picked it or God picked it. And then if it ends for everyone who's not in a slush kingdom, the highest mm -hmm. kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so another thing is that um, 1.7% of the earth's population is intersex and intersex, mean, intersex means you are born a combination of male, being male or female. And that's mm -hmm. roughly the same amount of people as there are redheads in the world. Mm -hmm. And I saw a study that said as of 2022, the world population is likely to project to proceed um, to exceed um, 8 billion. So I'm mm -hmm. not a very good math person, but 1.7 and 8 billion <laughs> is a lot of people. <laughs> so a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how are we creating the image of God? If over, if over a million of his children are born a combination of both genders. Additionally, if God is male, how are women created in the image of God? And if God isn't only male, where is heavenly mother and our intersex yeah. individuals created in the image of God also, like there's just a lot of questions. So many questions. So many questions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the family proclamation teaches on marriage. They, it says we further declare that God has commanded that the sacred powers of procreation are to be employed only between a man and a woman, lawfully wedded as husband and wife. And then if you know anything about church history <laughs> or anything about Mormonism, you'll you're likely to know that um, the church taught and practiced polygamy as well as polyandry, which means one woman with multiple men. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to read this slide? Yeah. So shortly after the church was founded, Joseph Smith commanded the members to live the law of polygamy, which required men and women to marry outside the law. Joseph Smith had over 30 wives to which he was now 
not legally or lawfully wed. In fact, at least 11 of those women were already legally married to other men. And then it lists some names um, of women's you can, women you can research. Um, despite this fact, however, same-sex marriage was legalized throughout the United States in 2015. Yeah, so so they so they they were teaching against marriage. They're like, you don't actually have to be married. It's okay. Um, yeah, so that's wild to me that they because because um, plural marriage wasn't legalized in Nauvoo or Missouri or anywhere that the saints were. In fact, that's why Brigham Young relocated yeah. the saints to Utah. Yeah, so, so yeah, because they are saying legally and lawfully married um, in the proclamation, and then obviously right. they did not, they did not practice that within the her the history of the church. Yeah. So the proclamation, when, when Gordon Mahingley says this is a reaffirmation of doctrines, it's really not because they were teaching against legal marriage. Yeah. So one thing that I wanted to pull out is the temple ceremony. It has changed a little bit since the legalization of gay marriage in 2015. So on one side, we have the old one where it says that um, this is Elohim talking in the presentation when he says that he's talking about the law of chastity and you're only supposed to have sexual relations between husband and wife that are legally and lawfully wedded. But... Um, the church recognizes that people of the same gender can be married now. Um, so they updated it to say, according to my law. So it allows for gay people, but it, it says that that's against God's law, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the next slide is just showing another change where they change it from legally and lawfully wedded to wedded according to his law. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. So they that kind of um that change right there made it so they can go back and then claim the history that is now under his law instead of what it used yeah. to say that was legally and lawfully so they're changing their, yeah. their doctrine yeah yeah okay. yeah and then i was just wondering like another question is can monogamous or married same gender couples be just as committed to each other and to their children as heterosexual married couples like like same same sex people can be married just like Anyone else can be married? Like, how is this a problem? Okay, so if the so so I asked this next question about parenting. Um, if the problem lies in the parenting abilities of same gender couples, studies actually show and are continuing to show that LGBTQ parents are just as healthy, if not healthier, than heterosexual parents. And so these next few slides is us is me going over these different studies that show that LGBTQ parents are are healthy. So so these are a lot, but. Just bear with me. So this is from the Center of Surrogate Parenting in 2008. And it says that LGBTQ parents are an asset for their school's community. And they're also more likely to be involved and engaged in their children's day-to-day -day educational life. And another study in 2012 from the American Psychological Association says that lesbian and gay parents are as likely as heterosexual parents to provide supportive and healthy environments for their children. Another study in 2012 is from Live Science and they say, gay parents tend to be more motivated, more committed, than heterosexual parents on average because they chose to be parents. That translates to greater commitment on average and more involvement. Mm. And another study in 2014 from the Washington Post says that children of same-sex couples fare better when it comes to physical health and social well-being than children in general population, according to researchers at the University of Melbourne in Australia which I thought was, I just think these are all super neat. So they in are. 2020, yeah. yeah, the American Psychological Review says the results indicate that children raised by same-sex parents from birth perform better than children raised by different sex parents 
in both primary and secondary education. Hmm. And then a study in last year in 2021 from the Frontiers in Psychology, it says, bad lesbian mothers were just as likely to have good mental health and positive relationships with their children as were heterosexual mothers, and that their children are no more likely to show emotional behavior difficulties, poor performance at school, or atypical gender roles, gender role behaviors, than were children with heterosexual parents. Hmm. Okay, so if same gender parents are just as healthier, healthier than heterosexual parents, how can this be bad at all? And I pulled a quote from the Book of Mormon that says, all things which are good cometh from God. So this to me seems like a really good thing, but yet their church is saying that they won't allow same-sex marriage. So, yeah. Yeah, there's so much to say there. We got to do a whole other podcast on that because I have so much yeah. to say about that. Um, yeah, all, all of the couples that I know that are... Um, like gay or lesbian couples raising their children, their children, oh my word, they are so loved and so blessed. And I'm sure I'm not saying this is everyone. I'm not trying to bring everyone into the same group, but everyone that I know, their children are thriving. They are, they are doing so well, so well. And so I just, and then with all of these studies, I just don't see why, why they still have all of this out in the world as doctrine. I just don't understand yeah. how they can still choose. And I guess it's because, I guess it's maybe because, you know, what Oak says that they, they don't apologize and they don't, you know, doctrine uh. doesn't change, but obviously with all the things that we can find and discover now on the internet, it does change. And it usually, usually, if not always changes because of members and media and society changing to pressure them. It's not um, because of discernment or, you know, revelation. And so um, it's just hard that all of this has been out for so long and there's still not even baby steps moving in anywhere that would feel like love to that community. And it's just hard. It's just hard, you know, um, which, you know, yes, you know, yeah. Julia, yeah. I'm preaching too. <laughs> Someone who knows. <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, so the next part is, um, is it gender roles? Like, can two females not fulfill all the responsibilities as a heterosexual couple or two males? Um, so if you go to the next slide. So this is outlining the, the gender roles in the proclamation. It says that husband and fathers, by divine design, fathers are to preside over their families in love and righteousness, and they are responsible to provide the necessities of life and protection for their families. And that wives and mothers, mothers are primarily responsible for the nurture of their children. So there's clear lines between one and the other. Mm -hmm. But with Elder Oaks, this last journal conference, I was really interested to hear that he was sort of blurring the lines of who has which responsibility. Elder Soros. Oh, oh, Elder Soros, yeah. yeah. Sorry if I said something else. That's Elder okay. Soros. So he says... Um, he talks about the equal partnership and the interchanging roles of nurturing, providing, and protecting. And he says, nurturing and presiding are opportunities, not exclusive limitations. So if, if there's not clear lines, why have clear lines? I, I'm confused. So um, yeah. gender roles more fluid than the proclamation lays out, which it seems to be like, yeah, yeah, it's just complicated. Yeah. In so many ways. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I also wanted to say like with me, with my personal experience with the gender roles is like, I was a nanny for four years for someone in my ward and the mother was a doctor 
and the dad stayed at home. And so like the family proclamation doesn't allow for these women to go out and have careers, even though she was a really good doctor. And like, it doesn't even allow for me as a nanny because the mother's supposed to stay home and nurture. So the proclamation just allows for a very small, I don't know, small amount of family. So I don't know how to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. The yeah. actual reality of families. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the okay. next question I had is, do they not accept um, same-sex marriage because of procreation? Like the family proclamation says, we declare the means by which mortal life is, um, is created to be divinely appointed. We affirm the sanctity of life and its importance in God's eternal plan. And it also says, we declare that God's commitment for his children to multiply and replenish the earth remains in force. So is it, is it that they're not having children? And so if we go to the next slide, um, I have this question where, um, so it seems a no brainer to me when one is asked, what are the means by which mortal life is created? But in this day and age, there are many answers. Couples who have struggled to become pregnant use medications, in vitro fertilization, surrogacy, artificial insemination, and often adoption as a way to build their family. And I was watching the news a while back and they were showing these, um, the science is having the ability to, or is getting to the ability for same gender couples to have a kid without the use, mm -hmm. without the need for the other gender, which is really mm -hmm. fascinating to me. I but heard like, that the other day, like very recently. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's super neat. But that's so great. my question is like, um, I think it's on the next slide. Okay. With the question. Yeah. So if children are brought into the world through non-traditional means, are those means not also divinely appointed? Like I have a friend who has four adopted children. Are Is their family not, is there less righteous? Um, like is the sanctity of those conceptions less important in God's eternal plan? And are their families less valid? Like I don't. Yeah. yeah. I have, I have some personal stories with this too. Um, being that someone I love, um, is, is barren and can't have their own children. And so, um, for them to be able to have children, they would have to do, um, something where they would have to use an egg from another woman. Um, and then she would be able to carry the baby or they would have to adopt, or they would have to use a, sur a surrogate mother or surrogate person to, um, you know, carry the baby for them. And so it doesn't make sense to me, um, or my heart or my being that if they, if that couple, you know, that woman and that man who have to go through those same avenues to get a child, um, and that is okay. Okay for the church. Um, it's not, it's still in their handbook still it's written wrong, but I'll, I won't go there right now, but it's still okay for them to do that. Why? And be sealed, you know, together as a family and, you know, nothing different that way. Why could it not be the same for, um, a gay couple, um, to do and go through the same avenues? Why does, does God, so cause God, if he's, you know, equal and he's all loving would have to give the same amount of love to that couple as they, as they did to the other couple. Like they're using the same Avenue to do that. So if one's right and runs wrong, that's not God. So yeah. they would both have to be okay. Right. And so that, right. that, that, that wording and what they use here, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense and it doesn't feel like God to me. 
So yeah. I just want Yeah. Yeah, I agree. This does not feel like God at all. Yeah. Okay. So another thing that I wanted to touch on a little bit is the um is the uh, the idea of multiplying and replenishing the earth. So President Oaks in 1984, he said one generation of homosexual marriages, marriages would depopulate a nation and if sufficiently widespread, would extinguish its people. Our marriage laws should not abate national suicide. So that's really strong wow. to me. <laughs> yes. Wow. Really Again, strong wording. But yeah. So the church is all for having lots of babies, right? Um, yeah. So if you mm -hmm. go to the next slides, we don't have to, we don't have to put too much time into this, but the church has always been very against birth control. And mm -hmm. in fact, a lot of the leaders um, say that it is one of the most heinous crimes here. Joseph F. Smith, he says, there is no promise of exaltation and self of eternal salvation and exaltation for such as they who use birth control. So like, that's huge to say you have no promise if you use birth control. Yeah. And, and if you go to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. So the next <laughs> one, um, I think it's the same brother. I didn't put his name. But he also says that it is a crime. Um, they're going to reap disappointment for those who take birth control. And it is, again, one of the greatest crimes and evil practices today. Um, and then in 1959, um, President Joseph F. Smith again said it is a crying evil, um, one of the greatest crimes, um, reap disappointment, that kind of thing. And I think there's one more. And then they, and then they, they say that still to this day, I mean, just in that, I think we read the quote earlier that it's still in command from God to multiply yeah. and replenish the earth. So if that yes. command is still in place and this command is still in place, that's interesting. Yes. Okay. Um, so Joseph Fielding Smith, a different prophet, he says that um, those who willfully and maliciously design to break this important commandment of having children shall be damned. That's really big. Um, wow. Small families are the rule today. So small families, he's saying that's bad to have small families. If we refuse mm -hmm. to live by the covenants we make, then we cannot receive the blessings of those covenants in eternity. Hmm. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. And then Joseph hmm. Felix Smith again says, which I thought this was really interesting. I, I grew up learning this. Um, he says that there are certain spirits assigned to parents um, and they, and he says, if you refuse them. Those spirits awaiting this mortal life will be forced to come here elsewhere when they were assigned to this particular couple. So each of us have a certain number of spirits. If we take birth control, those spirits will be forced to go somewhere else. They might not be an LDS home. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Very, yeah. Shaming. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> this is what's on the church's website today. It says that um, one thing I wanted to note, it does say this. It says sexual relationships within marriage are not only for the purpose of procreation, but also as a means of expressing love and strengthening emotional and spiritual ties between the husband and wife. And to me, this is another reason why people get married, why LGBTQ people get married, to express love, to strengthen an emotional, to strengthen emotional and spiritual ties between husband and husband or wife and wife. Like mm -hmm. there are other reasons people get married. So yes, yeah, definitely. but it also says, yeah. But he says um, decisions about birth control and the consequences of those decisions rest solely upon the married couple. So they're like, they're not being as strong mm -hmm. in their wording yeah. anymore about right. birth control. And this I thought was interesting because Joseph <laughs> Fielding Smith said that small families were the rule today. And this looks like other than President Nelson and Oaks and Iring, these all seem like pretty small families. Like you have <laughs> Elder Renlund has one daughter. Um, Uchtdorf has two kids. Soros has three, Elder Cook has three, 
Like this just seems really small. Like to me, Especially I see this and I think LDS realm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, my, my grandma, they had like seven or eight kids and each mm -hmm. one of them had seven or eight kids. I am yeah. the fourth of 14 children. Because wow. Of, yeah. It's a mixed family, but like yeah. my parents had eight and then my, my uh, stepmom had five. Anyway, there's just a bunch of us. And so like, yeah, yeah it's just wild to me that I'm the six of seven. I'm oh, a nice. six of seven and my mom is um, one of 11. So wow. There, hell. Yeah. That, that, yeah. you know, charge to have big families is definitely yes. um, preached. That's for sure. Yes, for sure. <laughs> and I did not just, this kind of surprised me just because you think that they'd have more kids like Nelson, but, but they don't, but they don't. So, yeah. Okay. So this is another thing that I really liked. Um, maybe the quotes after this, but it says mm -hmm. that, that, um, LGBTQ, um, married couples are more likely to raise and adopt a child and to foster a child. So these are children that have already been born into the world and they have nowhere to go. And so mm -hmm. to me, this is just like, why wouldn't we accept why wouldn't we accept the families of LGBTQ people? Like they're they're adopting these children who need families and they're fostering children who have nowhere else to go. So yeah. Yeah. So according to one study, married same-sex couples show higher rates of child rearing. The study also shows that same-sex couples are seven times more likely than different sex couples to be raising an adopted or foster child. So mm -hmm. if LGBTQ individuals are still rearing children, where's the problem? Like yeah. Like they can have just as many, uh, one child, two child, two children, like the 12 yeah. apostles have, like, yeah, I don't understand the problem. And then, and then along with the, um, like all the documents that you showed earlier and the research that they're happier, like yeah. they're, they're yeah, happier exactly. and they're, and they're thriving, um, in that space. Yes. So with both, why, why are we still here? <laughs> Right. And this last thing, um, at the very end of the family proclamation, it gives this little warning. It says, we warn that the disintegration of the family will bring upon individuals, communities, and nations, the calamities foretold by ancient and modern prophets. Mm -hmm. And so if you go to the next slide, like, I don't know what calamities have been foretold. Like, I don't know where it mm -hmm. says that. Um, like in the Bible, um, Jesus never once spoke against same gender relationships and the Book of Mormon likewise is silent on, on same-sex relationships. I think that and sentence it, is really important <laughs> for all yeah. who are listening, who are still believing or, um, Christian, um, that don't agree, you know, um, it's very interesting that you point that out. Jesus never once spoke against same gender, gender relationships and the book of Mormon likewise speaks nothing of it. So yeah, people will pull out, yeah, people will pull out some obscure references in the Bible that aren't translated correctly and they'll point to those or they'll point to Paul or whoever, but that's mm -hmm. not Jesus, first mm -hmm. of all. So yeah, I just think that's, that's big to me yeah. is that. I have my own yeah. views on some of those things. That's a whole other podcast too. We better, we better yeah, start yeah. writing a list, Julia, of what we're going <laughs> to yes. talk about later on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So I wanted to point out too, if such a, uh, such a catastrophic and devastating thing could happen because of the disintegration of the family, why is the foundation of our religion and the keystone of Mormon, of the Mormon religion, utterly silent on the matter? So like, if it's such a big deal, 
why, where is it? Yeah. Why is it? Yeah. If this, if this is essential to God's plan that it has to be this way, why did Jesus never speak of it? Why does the Book of Mormon never speak of it? Why does Jesus not speak of it when he comes back as a resurrected being to the people in the Book of Mormon? Why does he not tell it to Joseph Smith? I mean, but but he had to have sex with lots of people. And be oh, yeah. women. that was super important. So, yeah. but not have any children with them. Anyways, oh, yeah. whole other podcast again. Okay, moving yeah. on. Yes. Okay. So the conclusion, if you go to the next slide. So one thing that I think is super interesting in one of his talks, Elder Packer in 2010, this is just the video version. He says, he's talking about the family proclamation and he says in his video, it says it qualifies according to the definition as a revelation and we would do well and would do well that the members of the church should read and follow it. So he's calling it a revelation. Revelation. Yeah, he's, he's just calling it a revelation. But the church in the text version, I don't know why they did this, but it says they changed it to, it is a guide that members of the church would do well to read and follow. So like, oh, hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't know why they did that. I don't know why they made that change, but that's, to me, it just feels like yeah. they're saying we can't call this revelation. This is just a guide. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. <laughs> and this next one, um, um, Elder... Elder Oaks gave a talk in 2017, and he is discussing of how the proclamation came to be. And he says that subjects were identified and discussed by members of the Quorum of the Twelve for nearly a year. Language was proposed, reviewed, and revised. He doesn't really say who's doing it. I predict it's Cardinal McConkie. I think it's the lawyers. Yeah. And he says, prayerfully, we continue continually pleaded to the Lord for his inspiration on what we should say and how we should say it. We learn line upon line, precept upon precept, as the Lord has promised. And he says, during this revelatory process, a proposed text was presented to the first presidency. I don't know who by, I'm assuming the Quorum of the Twelve. I don't know. Um, who oversee the, and promulgate the church teachings and doctrine. After the first presidency made further changes, the proclamation on the family was announced by the president of the church, Gordon Hinckley, in the women's meeting. So like, it went from the Quorum of the Twelve to the first presidency to the prophet. That feels really backwards yes. to me. So, Yeah. Well, it is backwards um, to what they they preach revelations right. come from, right? It comes right, from right. the prophet is the one who speaks for God. And then it's brought to the, you know, the apostles. And then they write something up and then they give it to everyone else. That's kind of, that's how we've always been taught. Right. But this is like very backwards. Mm. So to me, this doesn't, this doesn't even sound like revelation the way he's saying it. He's trying to make no. it. He's putting the words prayer in and inspiration and line mm -hmm. upon line. But this, this is not, this is not revelation. No, so I would agree with you. Yes. Yeah. So I just, I was going to write a question. Is the proclamation not, all these things kept coming to my head. Like, is it doctrine? Is it revelation? Is it necessary? Is it harmful? Um, what are your thoughts after going through all this? Um, it's extremely harmful. It's extremely harmful in so many ways that I don't, that they have to know. That's all I have to say. Like they have to know how harmful it is and they have to know the research. They have to know all these things that play, play into this. And the problem that I see that they're having is that 
you know, recent profits, we're not talking about like back in the day, you know how they like to say that about like some of the first profits back in the day, that's what age they were when they got married or back in the day, you know, we've had new revelation now, but when you're talking about Hinkley that, you know, was alive and a prophet when I was alive, you know, when he's still relevant, he's still right now, when he's presented this to the world, they they're having a hard time figuring out how to go back and how to include and how to love like like Jesus, you know, like being the mouth, mouthpiece for God and Jesus. They're trying to figure it out and they can't because it's not revelation. That's my that's my point. What what do you think, Julia? I totally agree. That was really powerful. Um, yeah, so like they have to know. They do surveys all the time, even among their own members, and even mm-hmm. even some of the even some of the core of the twelve have family who are gay, like Elder Christopherson's brother, yeah. Elder Cook's son, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. Elder Gong's son, I think. Gong's son. Um, Gong. Gong. So, mm-hmm. like, they know that they're good people. They know that they that some of these teachings are yeah. false. Like, yeah, they have to know these. So LGBTQ, they have they're good parents. They're committed to each other. They raise children. They raise healthy children. Like, there's no reason. There's no reason for the church to not accept gay marriage. No, there's not. Just period. Yeah. Yeah. Period. I agree. And I, and I yeah. think even, even outside that I, I mo- mostly focused on this podcast um, to the LGBTQ, but I think that, mm-hmm. that it's also harmful to people who are heterosexual, like the yes. family proclamation pushing you to have children. What, what if women don't want children? What if they can't have children? What if they're mm-hmm. infertile? Like you were saying, this is harmful. Or what if yeah. a woman wants to be a doctor or what if yeah. the husband wants to stay home and take care of the kids? Like this is not healthy yeah. for anybody. Yeah. So. And it's so, and I'll tell you a personal story, like just, and I hope my husband's okay with me telling this, like just from last night, um, you know, as I, as I'm still deconstructing, you know, the world's got to watch me deconstruct almost live. Um, but it's still like things still come up for me. And I'm like, we were talking about like um, careers last night. And um, what what came up for me was like, the, like this, this podcast for me finally feels like home. Like it finally feels like purpose. It feels like my soul is attached here. And the last time I felt that way, was when I was a child, when I was young and I got to imagine whatever I wanted and I got to like be whatever I wanted and um, have this look of like no boundaries, like no box I was put in. And then as I went into young women's and like further into the teachings and the doctrine and the church and what was, you know, the box and the things for me to check off, then that like want for me, that want of what I wanted to be when I grew up was like just thrown away. And I was like, yep, mom, check. Yep, kids, check, you know? Yep, do they go to primary? Do they go to young women's? Are they keeping the, like all these things are check, 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 check. And in the meantime, I was 18 when I had my first baby. Wow, holy cow. never lived. I went right from my parents' house to being married. I never had time for me. 
I never had time to just have my own passions and like, be like, yes, I want to be this and I'm going to go and look for it and I'm going to go search for it and I'm going to find me and I'm going to live to what I want to do inside me. And it was no, I'm a mom now. And even though my husband would have allowed me to do so, and he would have been okay with me, he would have. But I was so indoctrinated that I never asked. I didn't even ask him. And if we ever had a a conversation about me working, in my mind, it was always, then you're not being faithful. You're not being obedient to what they're telling you to be and do. You're you're going to throw away your eternal family and salvation if you don't do ABC. So throw that little idea out of your brain, Jen, because this is who you are. Even though the inside of me was screaming, that's not me. Like I, I am powerful. I am empowered. I have passions. I have wants. I have desires. And would I change any of the children that I have? Absolutely not. You know, would I change the marriage that I have? Absolutely not. But would I have gave myself a couple years to find me? Yes, I absolutely would have. And I think it's very harmful, no matter how, way, how you look at it. It's very harmful especially to women in the church, this proclamation. Full stop. (laughs) Yeah, we can just end right there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I don't know, Julia, like this gives me like, I don't know, this is like, (laughs) I just want to tell you how grateful I am for this, for you being here and for giving church history um, a woman's voice um, and allowing me to be part of that with you because I know most of this was your work and what you did. And I just want to thank you for doing this because this space, especially this historical truth claim space, needs voices of women, needs voices of the other perspective we need to like encourage this we need to encourage these conversations we need to support places where women's voices are heard and i just want to thank you for being here and all the time you've put into this and um i just i hope we can have you back um sometime in the future and um so stay stay um with us and look for Julia to be here again because this was the bomb. She did amazing today and just so, so grateful for you. Sorry if that no, was a little you. over the top, but you don't know how much this has been in my heart for so long. So thank you for being here. Well, you're welcome, of course. Okay, and thank you for everyone who's watched and listened to the podcast today and the live comments. I was so nervous today and I think because this is my first live live. Um, with a guest and um, 
that I haven't even read any of your comments, but I promise I'll go back and read them um, afterwards and we'll try to reply and things like that to them. So thank you for everyone who's been here with us today. Um, ways you can support us is I put Julia's um, Analyzing Mormonism Venmo link um, in the show notes so you can support her and her passion and her TikTok and all those things by um, clicking on that and Venmoing her. Um, you can also support our Truth Be Told podcast in like a ton of different ways. I put all the links below. Support us there. At the least, like the podcast, share the podcast, and um, we hope to have more women's voices here on our Truth Be Told podcast. Thank you so much for everyone for being here today. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>